everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the Double L team, Lyle and... Lawson. Lawson. What have you been blessed with since yesterday? Uh, let's see. Yesterday, I did radio. Yes. It was great. Yes. I went home. Yes. I started cooking. Yes. I was like getting, you know, really keen uh-huh. for my for my lunch. Um, and then I get a text at quarter to 11. You got to go to work? Yeah. And they're like, oh, you're coming in for your shift. And I was like... Because I started at 12. Yes. And my place of work is 25 minutes away. So you got in your car and you left and you didn't get to have lunch. So you were blessed to fast yesterday. Yes. Amen. Uh-huh. And then I, you know, like I quickly, the stuff, I had some like rice in the rice cooker and everything. I was like, oh, I can just leave that on. It'll work itself out. And then everything else that was out, I just like threw into the fridge, did a triple barrel roll into my work clothes and just, like, ran out the door. And, you know, it was, like, fine. Like, you know, everything went well. But, yeah, basically, I was I was blessed with fasting. It was epic. And, then I, and then I come home and, and finish cooking my food. And it was really good because it was, like, golden curry, like Japanese curry, which is just amazing. It had, like, lots of tofu in it. But, yeah, it was, like, amazing day. You're eating lots of Asian food now that you're hanging out at church with lots of Asians in it. Yeah, 100%. Because it's, okay, okay, it's easy to make it's super tasty it's healthy and light and like i eat it ticks all the boxes literally like i eat rice probably almost four or five times a week now like dur- i used to i used to week. eat rice for a couple of years i ate rice basically every day mm. for a couple of years and then i got a bit bored of it and went back to potatoes <laughs> yeah. i'm more of a potato man these days but uh, there's nothing gone, nothing wrong with rice Mm. It's certainly a healthy way to eat, and it sounds like Lawson is eating a healthy diet right now. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, well, let's have a look at some good news. This is so cute. Okay, so some people in New Jersey from a, a university that's there essentially have been saving turtles out of storm drains because cool. uh, apparently that's a massive problem to the point where they saved... 826 turtles from a storm drain in one night. I am I am confused. Why? I am Okay, so this how did that many turtles get into one storm drain? Well, apparently I mean, were they having like a turtle race or something or other and <laughs> they, they just got jammed in the drain while they were trying to get through? Well, a bunch of them like hatch on like the the shores and the beaches that are okay. there. And when there's, like, pretty severe weather, they just get washed into these drains. So are these sea turtles that are supposed to be going out to sea, then, if they're hatching on the shore, or are they... No, they're they're turtles. They're turtles. They're They're not, like, tortoises. No, yes. Yeah, they're, like, sea turtles. Sea turtles. Hatching on the shore. You get get freshwater turtles. Yeah, but these are not. Okay. But then how if they're hatching on the beach? How do they end up? I'm, I'm, this is is epically good news, but they're going backwards or something or other because you're going to end up in a storm drain, then you're walking away from the ocean. Yeah. Well, flippering. You're you're flippering around. Floundering. Okay, the thing that I love about this story is this photo of all these turtles in a box that they've saved. 
This oh, is like just, just a small portion of uh-huh. them. They're so cute, tiny little turtles that they've picked up and they've saved 826 of them. This is what, like about the size of a 20 cent piece or something or other. Yeah, these tiny little things, like they're fresh. And basically the only way they were surviving, like in the storm drain was like eating their, you know, yolk sacks that they just hatched out of. Yes. Um, and obviously at that point, then uh, they're going to run out. And then they're going to die. They're, they're, it's just, it's over. You know, I, I believe it's turtles where a ton of them die from like predators. And oh, yes. Like with to... turtles, only like a very, very, very extremely small uh, percentage ever make it to adulthood. Yeah. Because they feed lots of other creatures. But now they're just like chilling at Stockton University where they'll be, you know, uh, raised for, uh, they they think about the next six months to a year oh, and then released. They're not, they, they didn't just um, take them out of the storm drain, take them into the ocean and let them go. No. They're like rehabilitating these turtles. Okay, so these guys are going to get a jump start on life then. Yeah, man, they're going to be privileged. They're privileged turtles. They're, they're protected. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be chased by sharks and seagulls no. and all that kind of stuff. And then once they're like big enough, and they get released, and they'll do the chasing. So what about the sharks and the seagulls? They're going to start. Oh, they can eat die. other things. They can eat things that we don't care about, like fish. Right. <laughs> that was a joke. That was a joke. Things that we don't care about, like fish. Well, I don't know. This is just something about turtles is so cool and cute. Um, but yeah, I just read that this morning. I'm like, that is so epic. I wonder how many turtles are floating around in our snor- storm drains that we need to save. Because we have turtles here in Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have of a ton of sea turtles. My, my dad was... Sea turtles, we have freshwater turtles, we have all kinds of turtles. Mm. I find turtles... Well, you find turtles crossing the road sometimes. <laughs> yeah, turtles. Sometimes you... Find them flattened on the road. Oh, yikes. My da- when my dad was living up in Gladstone last year, he said, like, every time they went fishing up there, because they're, like, pretty close to the reef there, it's just every time they go fishing out in the boat, it's sharks, it's turtles, it's, like, you know, you go fishing Lake Macquarie, you don't see anything, you just catch big flatheads and stuff like that. Whereas up there, it's just the marine life is incredible. So, anyways, yeah, that was awesome. You heard like, about the, the, the rabbit and the turtle who decided to have a race home. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the, and, and the rabbit was like, yeah, I'll race you home. Yeah. And the turtle pulled his arms and legs in. Oh. Oh, okay. That's, that's, a, <laughs> that's a bit of a remix of the story. I'm like thinking of, you know, the, the tortoise and yeah, the yeah, hare. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh. oh. <laughs> All right. Okay, check it out. I have another story here just quickly to go on. Okay, so Lyle. Yes. We're currently in the midst of a housing crisis in Australia. That's an understatement. Yeah. You understatement would, of the century. <laughs> you'd probably understand this as a, as a recent home buyer. I was so blessed. I bought just before COVID. I could never have afforded to buy if I'd have waited another year. Mm. Dude, epic. But even at that time, you know, we've seen like negative gearing and Increase the prices of houses for the last... It's been, you know, a problem for the last 10 years. You know, it's massive, particularly in the area of Byron Bay. Like, this is where the the housing prices at the moment are so exorbitant compared to the rest of Australia. And so, the, uh, the council in Byron Bay have come up with a solution that they're going to roll out in the next year, which is essentially there's like an old railway track there that they've, you know, decommissioned since like 2004. So there's like a bit of a rail corridor there uh, where nothing's really built. They're like, okay, this is how we'll solve a housing problem. Because they have identified that there's a bunch of homeless people as well who are doing it rough. Like, this is how we'll solve the problem. We'll build lots of tiny houses, put it in this rail corridor, and then, yeah, problem solved. Cool. What do you think? I'm like, I'm a bit like, I don't know. 
I, I don't know. This is, this looks to me, I'm like, okay, build a tunch, bunch of tiny houses. Put you know, in a if rail I was, corridor. For, a, for a homeless person, for a homeless person, a tiny house is better than the street. Yeah, 100%. But I'm like, is this, is this a permanent solution? Cause, cause it's like, okay, a homeless person, the next step from homelessness is like, you know, if you're then employed and then you have the ability to rent, it's not like the jump from homelessness is buying a house. But then I, I, I look at like those people who are, renting as well and then does it mean that oh yeah you know we're gonna increase the prices of houses here because if no one can afford it oh then they could just go live in a tiny house and then you have like a bit of a the challenge we've got in australia right now is a lot of people are bouncing from one motel to the next Mm. because there's just no housing available and these are people who are employed yeah and i think a bunch of tiny houses around the place would take some of the pressure off of people who are bound, you know, bouncing from mm. motel to motel, yeah, or hotel to hotel, yeah, oh, yeah, I see that. The only thing I'm just like, man, this could very quickly turn into like a Byron Bay shanty town, depending on how many they build and the amount of people that are going for them. And I'm a bit like, yeah, what, what's your yeah? I, I can see what you're saying. I can see what you're saying. I, I I know this that if I was if I was you know bouncing from hotel to hotel or if I was sleeping out of my car. You know, I would I would just jump at the opportunity to get into a tiny house because once you get into a tiny house, you've got access to, you know, things like washing machines and so yeah. forth, which which means that you can turn up to a job interview and look half decent mm. and present yourself in a way that gets you a job. And once you've got a job, then you can move from tiny house to larger house. Yes. Some people might just like the tiny house existence and say, hey, I'm going to stay here. I'm going mm. to do the minimal lifestyle. It's very, very popular these days. And I think there's actually a lot going for it. I'd love to live in a tiny house with a big shed. <laughs> Tiny house, big shed, that would uh, suit me just fine. So, but yeah, you could end up with a you could end up with a shanty town if you're not careful. Maybe what we need to do is to spread these tiny houses around a lot, mm. so that we don't get a ghetto kind of situation developing. Mm. Well, I guess we'll see how it develops in the future. We will. Great <laughs> experiment, right here. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so Pastor Bernard Randall uh, from mm-hmm. Trent Christian College in the United Kingdom uh, recently did a presentation to uh, 11 to 17-year-olds within his school mm-hmm. in which he uh, stated that you are not compelled to accept an ideology that you disagree with. Mm-hmm. That's, that was the recorded statement. So the, the presentation was obviously recorded. And as a result of making this particular statement right here, this was the statement that was actually singled out to be reported. He was fired and reported to the uh, anti-terrorism watchdog for extremist activities. Lyle. Yes. That is something that I would say. Yes. That is something that you would say. Yes. We're not terrorists. Okay, so let's give this now a little bit of context. Uh, The school had just had uh, a representative uh, from the... uh, had just adopted a gender ideology curriculum, and this was after um, Ellie Barnes had attended the school and done training for staff. She's the founder of Educate and Celebrate, which is an LGBT plus diversity uh, organisation. As a part of her training, she had had all of the staff that were in the college stand up and chant. They had to do this chant um, and they had to stand there and chant for like, you know, five, ten minutes, whatever it was, um, smash heteronormativity. 
in in front of the students? No, this well, I don't believe it was in front of the students. It was part of a training program, but they had to stand up and chant that. That's wild. And you know, as a staff member, you know, this particular pastor was a little bit he's Anglican Anglican priest. Yeah. And so he was a bit um disturbed by that because he's like, I don't I don't I don't buy into that ideology. And so he told the students, a bunch of students were asking questions about this in class. And so he decided that he was going to address the issue and he was going to answer their questions. He says, look, if, there's, if it's an ideology that you don't agree with, you don't have to accept every ideology that there is out there. Mm. And so he got fired and then taken to the anti-terrorism watchdog for extremist terrorist activities. I wonder who was pushing for his, like, you know, like I wonder who was pushing for that because I'm like, was it a parent? Was it another teacher? Was it a student? It was the head teacher of the school. Wow. Yes, it was the head teacher of the school that, um, that, that, that pushed this. And, you know, this adds to the bizarreness of gender ideology in general. Mm. You know, because you've got, you've got uh, biological males being allowed into women's toilets, women's locker rooms, women's sports, all this kind of stuff, which is just, it's just bizarre to the, to, to the normal average thinking person who has you know, any semblance of common sense, that's bizarre. Mm. And then, okay, how am I going to teach people that this is not actually what you see and what you experience and what science teaches you and what is what biology says is actually real is not real? Well, then let's stand, stand, get everyone to stand up and chant about this until uh, their minds are somehow changed. It also, like, it, 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 it demonises, like, heterosexual people. Yes, like like anybody who stands for heteronormativity. No, but even even like let's take a step back from like because he- heteronormativity is like a culture, right? Like that they're, sure. they're, they're claiming to smash. But just even if you are like a supporter of LGBT, yes, but you are a heterosexual. And this was one of the things that um, this particular pastor went at great length to state. You know as a part of this uh, presentation was that we need to have love and acceptance for everybody and tolerance yeah. for everybody that was in the school. Mm. Well, I guess there's no tolerance for him. Yeah. Well, so, okay, so this is just, this makes, like, I start to, like, my blood starts to boil at that point because I'm like, this is okay. exactly the opposite of the message. He was told, he was told because he was initially suspended, and when he was suspended he was told that his statement had hurt people's feelings. Mm. <laughs> That's what he was told. Oof. Um, then he was reported to the anti-terrorism watchdog. Then um, he was reported to the child protection agency uh, for child abuse, and then he was dismissed for gross misconduct. He was then reappointed on appeal um, and forbidden to speak on topics that might hurt somebody. So this is a pastor who's not allowed to speak about. Sin. It's like if you're not going to say anything, if you're going to not say anything that might hurt somebody, what part of the Bible are you actually going to read? Because the Bible calls out sin. How could you talk about literally anything? Like, you know, all presentations, all his presentations had to be written out in full and submitted to the, to the, uh, to the school to be vetted before he could make those presentations. Why even hire him? Honestly, what's the point? Yeah, well, this is a what's really the good question. And no, so, you know, the, the weird thing about this is that um, standard mainstream Anglican, you would, not, you would not describe the Anglican church as being an extremist organisation by any stretch of the imagination. 
not no. even close. Mm-hmm. But just being Anglican these days now makes you a part of a terrorist organization. <laughs> yeah, wow. Um, and being a part of the Anglican Church constitutes abuse of children. And, of course, after they were forced to reinstate him, they then made the position redundant, which actually makes a little, little bit more sense. Mm. And they're just like, well, we won't have a chaplain then. Yeah, well, don't. Like, honestly, what's the I mean, what's you're the a point? private school, so do whatever you want, yeah. right? Um, so toleration is no longer enough. Acceptance is no longer enough. Uh, no debate is, is allowed. Truth is irrelevant. Um, even... Science is no longer enough. None of these things are, you know, relevant anymore. And the question I have to ask myself is, who are the extremists? You know, is an Anglican priest who presents a standard Anglican teaching from the Bible and encourages love, acceptance and tolerance of other ideologies, is that the extremist? Or is getting everybody to stand up and chant for... Half an hour is that extremism? Which which mm. one of these two is weird to you? And, and which one is bizarre like, okay. to the average human being? Yeah, oh, hundred percent. It's like, and it's not even they're just chanting for half an hour, but they're chanting a hate message. Yes. Smash heteronormativity is a hate message. That's right. Like, oh yikes, Lyle, this is so bad. I, okay, why this, did you uh, bring this up? Meanwhile, meanwhile, this is good meanwhile, news. Meanwhile, in the UK. Uh, there's been a major um, uh, ban on conversion therapy um, uh, legislation mm. is um, underway in the UK. Uh, the Equality Minister, Liz Truss, has confirmed that the government will pass anti-conversion uh, legislation. The founder of Ban Conversion Therapy, mm. uh, who has been pushing this uh, for some time, has stated that, that publicly stated that, I quote, spiritual guidance is just religious speak for conversion therapy. The pernicious power of prayer must be dealt with. Glad that they recognise the power of prayer. Okay, Yikes. very quickly, I did promise that we would talk about the new death bill in South Australia that has, uh, this is the assisted suicide or euthanasia bill that mm-hmm. has just passed the upper house with 14 votes to seven. Um, and there is no organisational conscientious objection rights. So if you're operating a faith-based hospital, um, aged care facility whatever it might be, then you will be forced to kill people. Mm. Um, so this is the death agenda of the anti-lifers coming to power. Let's pray for our country. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, joining us on the phone this morning is David Haupt. And David, this book that we just promoted there, The Healing Power of Forgiveness, uh, what's your opinion of the book? It's very much needed, Lyle. Good morning to you and your listeners. Um, forgiveness is the lost art of relationships because we so much want our own way, our own revenge, instead of the powerful means of being able to forgive and set people free, setting ourselves free at the same time. Okay, so, so that's important. A, yeah, yeah, it sounds like a really good book to uh, to win this morning uh, if people can figure out the prize. And I know that this is a subject that is very close to your heart, and that you've spoken uh, quite extensively on. Um, so, David, we're glad to have you on the on the phone again this morning to uh, talk about mental health and relationships and um, all those kinds of issues. We were talking about uh, last week the difference between the way men think and the way that women think. And of course, you know there are some ideologies in our world today that say, well, there's no difference between the two. But I think uh, anybody who has experienced a relationship. Uh, knows very well that there are some differences between the way we think and the way we operate. 
Where are we going to with this conversation today? Lyle, it is, it is very true. When um, a brain, brain scan unlabeled is given to uh, doctors, they will not be able to identify which brain is a male's brain, which one is a female's brain. But when we start to look at the uh, neural connections and the patterns of, uh, of connection, we see a, a vast difference. Um, in relationships, though, we find so often uh, conflict arising and uh, resentment developing in relationship because of the difference and not understanding why we are acting. Sometimes females think that the, the husband is just trying to be obnoxious. He's not really hearing what she's saying. On the other hand, the husband uh, is, you know, just wants to scream out and say, shut up, woman. I, I, I just need my space. I need my freedom. Uh, give me the space that I need. And she just talks without us realizing really that we are just biologically doing what we are designed to do. Now, this is a very generalized thing because we find some men that talk much more. You find some women that uh, need that space. But in more general terms, God has designed uh, females and husbands far more differently to each other. But Putting the two of them together, as we said last week, actually makes a fuller whole. Okay, so it does strike me that if we do think differently like this, then to actually achieve that completeness that we're talking about, we really do need to actually learn how the opposite side to us thinks and how they work and what makes them tick. I mean, when I was uh, when I was a young person. Uh, before I got married, I remember my dad telling me, well, you know, it'll take you years to figure out what makes your wife tick, and when you do, she'll talk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which was probably, um, yeah, I'm not sure whether it was the greatest advice or not, but it was advice. It was fun advice, yeah. if nothing else. And, Lol, it, it is so true. Uh, most people get into marriage purely because there is some chemistry between them, not because they've logically thought things through and sat down with someone that can actually train them. I'm a very strong believer in premarital uh, counseling, especially uh, not, not just designed by a computer, but especially sitting down, someone that's trained sitting down with a couple and helping them to understand how each one will function. Very prominent uh, minister friend of mine, uh, every now and then they give me a call. His wife especially gives me a call. Uh, I did their premarital and they say, look, we need to make an appointment for readjustment after, you know, one year, two years, three years, five years. And uh, they just come together and we sit down and we readjust, help them to understand, decipher what the other one is saying. One of the biggest issues is when a wife starts to get historical. No, not hysterical, historical. When she starts to rehash in the male mind all the stuff of the past, she brings it all up and he just rolls his eyes and says, do we really have to go here again? I thought we've sorted it out. Yes, and as, and as men, we've probably long forgotten it as well. We've, we've long forgotten it. The, the reality is that the female brain is so wide and the part, the limbic system that deals with the emotional uh, part is far bigger in the female brain than in the male brain. And God has designed her to want to 
bring them together. She wants to resolve the emotional barriers that stands between them. She's not trying to rehash just the past. She's actually looking for more closeness, emotional intimacy. Now, when we talk about that word intimacy, uh, men immediately look at the physical, while the female looks at the emotional closeness. And what men don't get is while they are driven to the physical intimacy, she desperately wants that emotional intimacy that will open up to the physical intimacy. Yes, and that is, um, I'm wondering whether one of the reasons that women can remember those events from the past with such clarity is because those events for her have emotions attached to them uh, when we attach an emotion, when there's an emotional experience with a memory, do we remember it better? Well, just take for an example uh, a couple going to a wedding. Uh, you and your wife, uh, Lyle, go to a wedding. You attended. The two of you sit back. You're not leading in the in, in uh, as a minister in that wedding. So you, the two of you sit back. You guys come back, and she just raves. Over. Did you see that bride's dress? Did you see the bridesmaid? Did you see the hair? Did you see the flowers? Uh, did did you pick up on what the minister had said? And as husband, your only response is, "Yep, it was nice." <laughs> yeah, this is so true. <laughs> Classic. That's all. Uh-huh. That's all uh-huh. that we have to say. Yeah. Well, well we, we, we looked. We saw it. It was nice. It was, it was beautiful. She, she took in all the details. She uh, she observed the ambience. She saw the uh, you know every little detail, and it all created an environment for her. While the husband just sees, yes, it's functional. And you, even in the even in the couple who are getting married, you see how that works because you know we've, we we sort of joke about it, but often the reality is that the man just has to um, buy a suit and turn up, whereas the, the 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 bride is going to put in a tremendous amount of effort for the special day and attend to so many fine details to make it as amazing as what it is. So later in marriage, the wife spends an entire a week planning for that special dinner that she's going to make for her and her husband alone, sitting uh, around a candlelit table. And uh, she eventually, after you've gone to work, spends the entire day working in the kitchen, slaving away, putting together a dinner, uh, not only a feast for the, uh, the palate, but a feast for their eyes. And the husband comes back from work. He walks in, washes his hands, sits down, and he just consumes the meal and gets up. Maybe gives, if she's lucky, give, give him a peck on, uh, her peck on, on the cheek. And that's it. Mm. And she, in dismay, says, is that all that I'm getting for all of this? He says nothing. If she's lucky, he might say, well, it was a nice dinner. Thank you. But she has slaved away because she has been focusing on so much detail. One of the biggest things that I try to teach when I do uh, do a marriage therapy is to help the husband look broader. Uh, a very interesting fact is that there is a major difference when we look at the brain of a of teenagers, young people developing uh, developing minds of a female versus a male. 
And when we look at the brain of two old people living together, you see that the differences started to fade away and that they are more functioning very similarly. In other words, a husband that is intentional about wanting to connect to his wife will actually start to sit back, observe, and start to develop parts of his brain which normally, when he starts off as a young man, has not been developed very similar to the female. Yeah, that's that's really remarkable. And when you you know when you talk about the, I just want to hone in on you t- talking about doing pre marriage counselling with young couples, and I know this is something you do a lot of. And you know when you stop and think about it, for pretty much everything here in Australia these days, you've got to do you've got to do a course for everything. You've got to have a certificate. You've got to have a license. You've got to have a piece of paper. You know, if you want to drive a car, there's a whole process that takes years for you to go work your way through your L's, your red P's, your green P's and so forth before you can get a license to drive a car. And yet marriage can actually be far more lethal than owning and driving a car. And we, can, and we can go and do that. We can go and do that without any preparation at all. So I really do appreciate the fact that this is something that you do a lot of is preparing people uh, for marriage. No, I don't believe that any marriage should be enacted, not before people have gone through a premarital course. Um, you can do it online and, and get the results to see how uh, how the differences are. I would like to recommend to young people that are listening in this morning that they even go and sit down with a God-fearing couple that has been around the traps for many, many years and ask them the question, we've observed you, we've seen your marriage working. Would you mind looking us through, sitting down with us, sharing with us your gems that you've discovered in your marriage? But also, would you mind sitting down with us and allow ask us questions and look for danger signals in our relationship? Uh, what I do, part of my training before uh, I came to Australia was, to be trained in how to assess and analyze a couple. And I look at the entire history and I look for red flags in their relationship. Now, the danger is that this couple can actually decide not to go through with marriage. That's the risk that they take coming to sit down with me. But rather break up the relationship now before marriage, before there's kids, than later. But most of the couples that I've worked with actually in marriage later on, we'll pick up the phone and give me a call and say, David, you remember that red flag that you raised with us and you guided us through discussing with us how it's going to pan out and how to deal with it? Well, we are right there right now. Mm-hmm. But luckily you showed us how to deal with it and we were able to, to work through it. Yeah, praise God for that. That's um, that's that's so important. Now, just a, a quick question. When you're talking about preparing for marriage and so forth and you talk about young people and the opportunity for doing this, what about people who are a little bit older? What about people who have been married before? Uh, because you know maybe they've been married for 20 years or so, they lose a spouse or they have a divorce or whatever it might be. Um, have they learned everything they need to learn so that they can uh, move into their next marriage without doing this kind of course? The sad thing is that we so often bring exactly the same pathology into our next relationship. So a couple that has been through divorce once has a greater chance to go through divorce. I sat down with many people. One particular person said to me, you know, 
if only I knew uh, that I have not learned my lessons yet, I would never have gotten in, uh, involved in a second marriage because I have just duplicated the same mistakes into the next relationship. We bring into our next marriage, we bring into marriage every relationship that we've had in the past. So in an age where a try before we buy is the order of the day, premarital sex, we actually bring every one of those relationships into the marital bed and we, we're not even aware of it. Yeah, wow, that's um, and, and that raises a, uh, a whole new subject even of itself that maybe we should discuss at some particular point in the future um, because yeah. premarital sex, the try before you buy, uh, test drive the car, all those kind of things have become very popular in our world today. And is it actually really a good idea? David, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM this morning. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.